This podcast is strictly for mature listeners. So if you're under the legal drinking age, you are not permitted to listen under UK law. If you would prefer not to hear conversations about alcohol, you may want to listen to something else. But if that's not you, stay with us for Bar Fabric Presents. Hello and welcome to Bar Fabric Presents, a podcast brought to you by the Brown Foreman Advocacy Team. Each episode, you'll hear from our team of ambassadors as we share stories about the brands we're proud to represent and the people who've inspired us along the way. I'm Ali Didienko, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Bar Fabric Presents. In every episode, you'll hear from one of the team defending drinks that either have a bad rep or are overlooked in a segment called You're Wrong About. In previous episodes, members of our team have defended the Lynchburg Lemonade, the Tequila Sunrise, and in this episode, Joseph's taking us on a journey to chastise ice in coops. In every episode, you've heard from a hospitality expert. But in this edition of How'd You Get That Job, we have a twist. Charlotte will be talking to Renee, social media producer and radio plugger at Silver Music Entertainment, about music, fashion, and the female appeal to whiskey. And finally, in four more bars, Joseph will be talking to experts in the arts about their favorite songs in hospitality. If you're like me, you may not realize how much thought goes into the music played in your favorite bars or restaurants. In this episode, Joseph will be catching up with John Nichol, composer, performer, and resident musician at the American Bar at the Savoy. Find out what song goes with his favorite cocktail and how he feels performing songs that are important in people's lives. A lot of interesting bits to get through. But first, you're wrong about. Hi everyone, I'm Joseph. And for this edition of You're Wrong About, I'd like to tell a story. Now this story describes only 30 seconds worth of events and relates to a trauma I know a lot of people will relate to. Please know that this is told from my perspective and my DMs will always remain available for sliding into. This story is entitled Ice in Coops. The bar is dark, illuminated only by candlelight and exposed filament bulbs, which cast a warm apricot glow across the room. The music's cool as well, and looking around you can see the perfect weight and rattling pulse of Do It Again by Steely Dan being enjoyed by everyone in the room. You've clocked that the sound system's pretty good, and at that observation you allow yourself some well-deserved self-satisfaction. There's joy and bustle in the room and you can see the bar team laughing together in between their interactions with the guests. It's a warm moment, and your heart is full, and this time you've spent taking it all in is like coming up above the surface. And for those few seconds, you're present, you're active, and you're seeing all the components of this fantastic atmosphere individually before they then blend together. Your companion arrives back to their seat, and you plunge back down into the night. The two of you laugh and talk nonsense as the bartender in front of you prepares your drinks. A highball for your friend is rightly served first, followed by a stirred, digestif-style cocktail for you. The wide saucer of your coupe is held aloft by a long, elegant stem. The glass is clouded by condensation as the frozen surface responds to the temperature of the room. In the center of the glass sits a monolithic block of ice, a crystal Matterhorn, its summit rising higher than the rim of the glass. The bartender pours your cocktail and you watch in slow motion. The liquid hits the ice first and rolls down a fluid avalanche becoming translucent against its mountain's contours before collecting in the basin. 
As liquid level rises around the surface of the ice, textures collide and visimetric whirls move clockwise like Andromeda. You are spellbound and very thirsty. Firmly gripping the stem of your coupe, you raise the glass to your lips. You revel in anticipation's vice-like grip, savoring every drop of expectancy. The weight of the world ascends with the glass as it travels upwards, exciting and mercurial. All is quiet. The simmering whir of the bar is muted. You're in a vacuum. Eyes ablaze, your lips twitch and your neck begins to crane forward as the glass completes its ascent. Neurological messages flash their way down from your brain, through the neck to the shoulder, elbow, wrist to the fingers. You can feel their individual pressures on the stem shift backwards, the horizon of the glass rising, liquid, surging forward. Exquisite taste, perfectly cold, balanced like you've never known. The cocktail dances a passionate flamenco through your palate, igniting every taste bud you've never felt so alive. Your critical assessment is outweighed by your spiritual experience and for a split second are shown a new dimension of beauty previously impossible to fathom. It tastes really nice. Then, a small angle shift refracts a flicker of light into your eye and you look up. The crystal stands tall in the glass and, for that freeze frame, you regard each other. Tectonic plates seize and snap in the new temperature and inside a millisecond, jagged fissures etch their way across the base. The mountain becomes unbound. With slickness and smoothness unrivaled, the ice slides forward with unbelievable acceleration. No wind resistance across its smooth angles, no friction troubles its descent from underneath. Gravity commands, the ice block obliges, and as if paying tribute, brings with it a rippling surge of your cocktail its rich colour splitting into shades of gold and crimson across its waves as it rolls towards you. As it approaches the edge of the glass, your drink reaches terminal velocity. What was once gravitational potential energy is now kinetic, and at the lip of the glass, its momentum carries it upwards, vaulting, curling, and splitting in the air. An arc of liquid stretches out a mahogany crescent moon, and time stands still. When you chose what to wear before leaving the house this evening, you thought about wearing a hat. You considered wearing a second chain and decided against it because there was a subtle and pleasing simplicity to your outfit. The shape complements your body and the colours do the same for each other. No embellishments required. But free will makes a difference here between those and your new accessory currently flying in your direction. As it makes contact with your chest, you feel that your right to choice has been violated. The blast radius expands and your cocktail finds new homes in the south around your stomach and in the north making new and wholly unwelcome settlements in and around your collar. You put your glass back on the counter and you, your friend and your devastated bartender come together to mop, dab and console. Your night isn't ruined and being the measured and mature person you are, you maintain your composure, even managing to laugh a little at your misfortune. Your top may be ruined but your night needn't be. On the bar top, the glass sits empty, except, of course, for the ice block. You look at it, no longer an island in a shimmering cocktail sea, but rather a faceless, remorseless, lonesome mountain. Suffice to say, the love and respect you once had for it is gone. They say you win or you learn, but in this tragedy, there's no lesson to be taken. Ice and coops promise aesthetic joy and opportunity for controlled dilution, but like wishing on the monkey claw, these dreams becoming reality comes with a cost. Stained tops, sticky chests, 
and experiences in profound anticlimax. I have to say, I agree with Joseph. Leave more space for my drink. Hello, and welcome to How'd You Get That Job? Um, I'm Charlotte. I am the Brown Foreman Malts Ambassador for the UK, and I'm joined today by lovely Renee. Hey. Hey. Renee works for Silver Music Entertainment. Uh, she is a content producer, social media manager, and um, a radio plugger. For those of our listeners who don't know, I am originally from Liverpool. I do have quite a strange accent because I grew up half an hour outside of Liverpool and then moved into the city centre for about 10 years uh, where I went to uni. And what we found out today is that Rene also lived in Liverpool. Um, so how long did you live there for? So I also went to uni in Liverpool. So I lived there for three years. But like I always find myself back up there because I still have friends there. So yeah. Yeah, I think Liverpool is such an interesting city because... So many people that I know move there for uni or move there kind of for a master's or something like that. And everyone just stays. I'm the same. I'm always back. I live up in Newcastle now, um, but I'm just constantly back there. Okay. Newcastle's meant to be sick. It is fun. They're quite similar cities. I don't know why, but whenever I speak to taxi drivers about the fact that they're similar, they're always like, it's because they're port cities, you know. Mm, that's, a, that's a point to be fair. It is a point, I yeah. think. Um, so, yeah, so it's, I mean... Liverpool is my favourite city ever. It's, it's my so favourite city ever. Like, I think in the world. Yeah. Like, I'll say that with chest and with yeah. confidence, yeah. It's so good. It is. Um. So, yeah, so what did you study at uni? I studied fashion communication. Amazing. And everyone's always like, what is that? And I'm yeah, like, what, is, what that? is that myself? But basically, it's like the other side of fashion. So not design, so I can't sew or anything. But it's like photography, graphics, um, marketing, that kind of stuff. That's so cool. It's like, I feel like, obviously to be like a fashion designer or something you need to be able to sew and design and stuff but that's like the other equally as important element yeah people forget that as well so when you say fashion they're like oh you make clothes then and it's like yeah no there's this whole other world and like there's so much in it yeah everyone thinks you're on like project runway what do you find do you find any kind of skills that you learned at uni or when you're in liverpool do any transfer into your job in social media now um in my job as a social media producer and radio plugger i have to create content and like I use softwares like InDesign and Photoshop and I learned those at uni like before I went to uni I didn't have a clue like how to use them so without going I wouldn't have literally be, been doing what I do now yeah. so yeah it's it's a big connection yeah definitely I suppose all of those industries are so interlinked as mm. well aren't they it's like media on a literally. wider spectrum yeah so I work in music now and like music and fashion they're so intrinsically linked like yeah, it's so close. Like from styling to photography and everything, it's yeah, it's definitely well connected. When you were at uni, I don't know if you're similar to me. I went to uni and did psychology, but to kind of pay my way through, so that I didn't end up just living in loans, <laughs> um, I worked. So I, I think in, I feel like in uni you go either one of two ways. You go either into trying to work in Topshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Zara. <laughs> get that discount. <laughs> get the discount. Um, or you go into like working in bars. Yeah. So, I mean, I worked in bars for 10 years. I think I started when I was 18. I think I was a waitress and a host, first of all. And then okay. I ended up learning how to bartend and then obviously work for Brown Foreman now. Um, but did you, which path did you choose? When so you were I did uni? a bit of both. So I started off working because when I was like 16, I was working at Gap 
nice. um, in retail. So then I like transferred there as soon as I went to uni. So like I had something. And that was good, like for meeting friends and meeting people. Like, so you're not just in your uni bubble. Like, yeah. It was like a life bubble. So I met people actually from like Liverpool and the city. Mm-hmm. And then I had friends who were working at a bar. So I also got a job there as well. So I left retail behind and entered the bar world. <laughs> I think what I always struggled with working in the bars is actually paying attention at uni. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I went out so much at uni and it didn't Oh yeah, help. me too. No. No. But I feel like it's like a rite of passage almost, isn't it? Definitely. Like you have to. You didn't go to uni if you didn't go out loads. Like, oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so did you work across a couple of bars or did you kind of pick one and stick? Just one. So yeah, I worked at Turtle Bay. Nice. So yeah, straight on the bar. I didn't do any floor work, like serving food or anything. Yeah. So yeah. And I'd never made cocktails before in my life. And their menus, if I remember correctly, are they're extensive. Yeah. They're not like small menus and they're quite rum focused, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, very rum because it's like Caribbean themed bar. So mm-hmm. heavy on the rum. They have a few like gin cocktails and other bits and bobs. But yeah, so there was like rums that you needed to know. And I was overwhelmed when I walked in there. I was like, how am I going to remember this? Because rum is like, I mean, Brown Foreman don't own a rum. But yeah. the rum, when I've kind of learned about it and read into it and, you know, we've had to do like exams where you look at rum. It is a minefield. There are so many, like, rules are different for every single place. Yeah, and you have your white rums, your dark rums. And then it's it's just crazy. The pace as well. Because in um, Turtle Bay, it's two for one cocktails. So people, like, will go crazy on, like, a Friday or a Saturday. Every day, really, Liverpool. Like, once these guys were on a stag and they came in, they ordered, like, eight of this cocktail. So that meant 16. Why? Why me? (laughs) But, yeah, I did it. I used to work somewhere that did that and it was, um, I think it was two for one until 10pm. Mm. So at like half nine, I think genuinely they they didn't have any waiters or waitresses or servers before that happened. And then I think they had to hire people to like deal with. It was it's a lot, isn't people. it? It was a lot. Yeah, like cause... we used to get people coming in, obviously not very responsibly drinking. Because mm. <laughs> so we were all doing like like four brambles which means eight brambles and then you're like oh are these like one each and they're like no no and I think something that definitely working in bars taught me is kind of how to deal with pressure definitely (laughs) in like weird a weird way like even now that I kind of work obviously it's a lot more admin heavy even those skills that I learned there of keeping calm under pressure even if it's just someone going yeah sending me an email <laughs> no definitely and even just like being nice to people while you're stressed out like because yeah. on the bar like there'd be people shouting at you like okay, i'm next like no manners people lose their manners it's like it becomes animalistic yeah it really it? does yeah so um, i think that's definitely something now keeping calm yeah smiling while you're stressed yeah, yeah. i remember a bar i used to work in um we had they had kind of what would you call it, like bar manuals almost. Okay. So you used to have to do like a, a day every year where you would like revise the core manual. Okay, that's and good. It was cool. Yeah. Um, And part of that was talking about, they would talk about like different theories and um, it was quite intense. That is intense. But My face was... just went, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a theory in there called swan theory. And what is swan theory? Swan theory essentially is that you should look like a beautiful gliding swan. Around the bar, swan around the bar. Above the water, you should be like, you know, just being a beautiful swan. But then underneath, your legs are kicking 
And you're moving that's quickly. That's deep, that. It's deep, isn't it? I might it? take that with me now through life. That's a gift from, from <laughs> me to you. So you. Swan theory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we used to have to learn like so much stuff like that. And what's quite funny about that, I think, is that they kind of give you all these theories but don't tell you how to use them in practice. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not like... I'm going to learn how to deep breathe. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to learn how to compartmentalise. Oh, they're just like, be that, but don't give you the tools to actually execute it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Which I think is something that I've learned probably personally mm. over the last like 10 years. It's like, okay, how do I best manage stress and how do I best yeah. stay calm in those And everyone's situations? so different, aren't they? In like yeah. dealing with things and yeah. yeah, life. Life. What does kind of a typical day look like for you? I imagine because you're a creative um (laughs) every day I'm guessing is kind of different yeah every day is different and it kind of depends on what projects we're working on at the moment Mm -hmm. but um I am a radio plugger which is basically we try to get artist music on the radio pretty much yeah and kind of work with them on their development and like pushing them through the scene and then I'm a content producer as well for Silver Music Entertainment. So every day kind of looks different. Like if we're creating content for someone, it could be editing videos or scheduling posts for our social media and actually creating them and researching like what people need and looking into insights. So yeah, it's a lot of different things, which keeps it exciting. Yeah, yeah I think if I had to have kind of every day the same, I would not enjoy it so much. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what kind of person you are because I think some people are so happy with, like, security and just knowing what they're doing every day, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we're a bit similar. We like to switch it up. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So um, Josh mentioned before that you are also a DJ. Yes. Tell me more. Okay, so (laughs) I started learning to DJ end of 2019 and my brother taught himself, like, from YouTube videos. (gasps) Wow. And then he taught me. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So he taught me. And um, my dad actually used to be a DJ. Amazing. Um, so yeah, it was kind of there, do you know what I mean? So yeah. now it's happening. Lockdown happened. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of just practicing at home. I was doing like guest mixes for radio stations and stuff. And then now I'm actually playing to humans who dance in real life. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. So what kind of, like, what do we call them, gigs? What kind of gigs? What kind of venues yeah. do you play? What's your favourite place to play? So recently I just did Box Park in Shoreditch. Amazing. And that was like a big deal. Um, That was really fun. Like my friends, um, they're called Girls Don't Sink. And they're like four women who DJ and they're killing it at the moment. Like they just did print works and yeah, they're doing amazing stuff. So I supported them at Box Park and that was a vibe. And I feel like there's this really big like scene of like more women who DJ popping through. So it's exciting to be like part of that. That's really cool. I love that. There's, it's like... The support is unmatched, isn't it? Definitely. Mm. And I feel like it's so important. And especially like just women supporting women. Like it's a big deal. Yeah, 100%. We find that, like I find that especially in the whiskey industry, like Mm. in the single malts industry, there's so many like amazing ambassadors and master blenders and everyone like that who are all women supporting women. Oh, that's sick. Because I would have thought whiskey very male dominated. Well, yeah, it is. But then it's almost like... It's like we seek each other out. I remember when I, like, I've been working in the single malts now for just under a year. Okay. And I remember starting and being like, kind of like you starting at Turtle Bay. I was like, this is a minefield. Yeah. There is a lot of information to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's so different from American whiskey. Yeah. And I remember when I first started, there's like so many amazing ambassadors from different companies mm-hmm. who were all like, we're here for you. 
that's so nice though, isn't it? To it's feel so like, yeah. And especially like when you get to the point when you know all this stuff, mm-hmm. you must feel amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about that. I know everything. Like, oh, honestly, when I can answer a question <laughs> for someone. Ego boost. Yeah. yeah. And also without going, I could be wrong. Yeah. Like, that's the worst thing about me. I'm like... Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I go, think. I could be wrong. I think. Yeah. I think that's such a about. female thing as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like I think imposter so. syndrome and all of that jazz. <gasps> so true. Yeah. Renee's journey shows us that working in hospitality is so much more than pouring drinks. The skills picked up behind the bar can be carried with us throughout life. Next episode, you'll hear the second part of How'd You Get That Job with Renee. If you subscribe, you'll be informed when the episode is available to download. Hello, this is Four More Bars, a segment dedicated to the best music in hospitality, where I will be thrusting myself completely out of my depth by speaking to experts in the musical arts. John Nickel is with me here. He is a composer, singer, and resident pianist at the American Bar at the Savoy. It feels like such a coup to get you in here. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. It's a real treat to be here and talk about these things. Well, I think it is. I haven't talked about them yet, but it's going to be a coup, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to make a couple of disclaimers. Um, The first thing is due to licensing issues, sadly, we can't play the songs on the podcast, but we will make sure to release these songs um, on a playlist alongside. So you can listen along or listen along after the fact. Um, of course, all of these people, these musical geniuses that I'm speaking to, you can count on their choices. Uh, the second thing is, um, it may, it, it may surprise you that John knows a tiny bit more about music than I do. Um, so I'll make no secret of the fact that I've listened to these songs ahead of time. Um, so I can sort of develop some thoughts and opinions on them and not pretend that I'm trying to hang in this conversation. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, this one. Yeah. No it's problem. got words. Or, I, yeah. I know it. Not only do I know it. I have developed opinions. Wow. Okay. All right. First, we have to kick off a song to go with your favorite cocktail. First of all, what's that cocktail? Yeah, I I do love A Perfect Manhattan. And that is simply, magically and mysteriously, because one night I was playing in the American bar years ago. God, probably about 17 years ago. And a guy, a very elegant American guy with a, a hat on, came down the stairs and ordered a glass of champagne for himself. And he said, A Perfect Manhattan for the piano player. No idea who this guy was, and I had one and instantly felt a lot better. And uh, I think he bought me another one. I had a two, it made me two or three that night and felt a lot better. And then ever since then, it's just been my favorite cocktail. It literally is you take a sip and you're in a different, often better place. Oh, I love yeah. that. Every time someone tells a story like that about the American bar, it just it grows that sense of uh, conviviality and yeah. nostalgia along with the place. And also, that is a slick move. What a thing to do. And, you know, I mean, not to even ask. Uh, he probably looked at me and thought, this guy's young, he hasn't got any opinions about anything uh, anyway. But just to, just to say, uh, you know, to say uh, a perfect Manhattan for the piano player, it's quite a specific thing, isn't it? Knowing that maybe maybe he wasn't even there, maybe he was a spirit, I don't know. But it, it, was, it, I, I, it was such a great choice because when you're, Playing piano and singing in a room full of strangers, Christ, you know, you want quite a potent drink to take you to a slightly, you know, more relaxed place. And uh, Manhattan definitely does that. Yeah. What kind of hat was it? It was a kind of, um, uh, I was going to say what hat it was, then I, I, I struggled saying the word. I think you say it, pronounce it, fe- Fedora. Ah, Fedora. Or, no, it's, no, Not maybe, a Fedora. It's, uh, that's a the fed- tennis player. Tennis player, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, no, I think it was more... Fedora sounds too almost feminine. I think it was more of a kind of like 30s, 40s, um, 
the kind of Sinatra type hat. Yeah, that what, is a fedora, it? isn't it? Kind of, but it, yeah, it's it, it, some it, people might argue Trilby. This is not a hat. It was Trilby esque, Trilby esque, probably yeah. more than. F- but was fedora. it dipped at the front? It was kind of like beige Mac, kind of thick horn green glasses. Very elegant guy, probably in his sixties. Kind of guy who you just felt very safe with, and the kind of guy who really knew how to kind of hold himself in in a bar environment. And uh, yeah, what a, what a thing! So that's always been my that really has been my go to cocktail ever since then. And uh, particularly if I'm if I'm working and someone says, "Would you, can I get you a cocktail?" Then I would. Uh, I would ask for a Manhattan, a ah, Manhattan, yeah. That's really nice. Uh, Manhattan happens to be my favourite cocktail no as way, well. No really? Yep. Okay. Um, and the first cocktail that my dad, um, I remember my dad making at home, mm. just in a in a shaker that he bought in John Lewis or something, yeah. sticking all the things together yeah. and shaking it, uh, quite a famously stirred cocktail. But, you know, when you're <laughs> a sort of enthusiast at home yeah, yeah. and you're doing the cocktail thing, mm. you want to shake it. So I remember him doing that, actually, with a bottle of Jack Daniels. This is funny because, you know, I work for Brown Foreman yeah. and um, that story's never come out. Okay. I yeah. think I'm going to use that again. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it has since become a really significant cocktail for me as well. So it's nice mm. that this would come up. Yeah. And what song does that go well, with? Well, I picked the song, actually, Manhattan. Uh, the bigger lyric is, I'll take Manhattan, just obviously because there's an ob- obvious link with the cocktail. Uh, but also, this is very evocative of the kind of jazz age in 30s, 40s, 50s, the great American songbook. And I think, have I got Ella Fitzgerald singing it? You've got uh, Blossom Deary. Blossom Deary, yeah. Well, she was a, a great pianist vocalist uh, who used to play a lot in the New York circuit. Literally, I met people who would see her playing in a hotel lobby kind of 20 years ago, being largely ignored. Um, and yet she was really well regarded in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. She was a real uh, jazz, uh, you know, titan. So uh, a perfect, perfect person to, to sing this message for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful song. I'd not heard it before. Um, there is this, there's something about that. It's real cocktail music. There's mm. sort of, I mentioned nostalgia earlier on, that same sense that you get in the American bar. Um, and I was trying to let it, just do its thing with me. See, see where it took me. Yeah. Um, and there is this nighttime sense about this music. It reminds me of listening to things like that as a child yeah. and picture the city at night, you know, past yeah. my bedtime. Yeah. And it still has that something really cozy and then brings me into a sort of candlelight environment, which mm. I now associate with, you know, hospitality and cocktails. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's a, there's a real sophistication to what is referred to as the Great American Songbook. Uh, the Great American Songbook is, is songs primarily written by kind of jobbing tunesmiths in the 30s, 40s and 50s. All the kind of Gershwins and the uh, Irving Berlins, all those kind of guys. Um, uh, it's, that period is now bagged together and referred to as the Great American Songbook. And if somebody asked me, you know, the kind of stuff I generally play in the American bar, it would be... I, I would start off the generally the mothership the mother load would be the American songbook really so all, all right. your fly me to the moons and all the, all the great hits that like your Tony Bennett's and Frank Sinatra sang and and and, and people like Harry Connick Jr. and Michael Bublé have kind of um, had a go at as well that, that, that those songs like are part of that vernacular um, but it's it's the intelligence and the sophistication and the style and the poise and the poetry and the intellect behind that genre which I think you're referring to there, you, you they, 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 emotive and they, t- they take you somewhere. They really do. It's like watching a play, isn't it, almost? Yeah, that's really nice. And it makes sense, Great American Songbook, because words that I wrote here, uh, there's a sort of sense of optimism and mm. a sense of pride and excitement. Yeah. Yeah, these were things that just came to me when I was listening to it. But another word that came to me is that it is distinctly romantic as mm-hmm. well. 
there is something really uh, romantic about it. And a question came to me, which is like, I feel like you've got um, one of the best positions in the world mm. uh, to observe the effects of music on the lovers that come into these romantic <laughs> Well, they're all my lovers. They're all your lovers by yeah. the end of the evening. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. But is yeah. that something that you feel you can sort of turn up or, or dial back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if people, people start kind of getting a little bit too uh, overzealous. Uh-huh. No, I, it's a fascinating, you're, that's a really interesting thing to talk about because I guess you do, a bit like being um, a mixologist, uh, yeah, a bartender, you, you do have a, a kind of social green card, don't you? And you're kind of, you can be, um, you know, the source of attention or you can be at, uh, sometimes in the course of 10 minutes then also by turns completely invisible people feel very relaxed around you you're, you're kind of mysteriously trusted very quickly and so uh, uh, you know adding to that you know alcohol yeah i i do see i have seen yeah lots of relationships begin end and kind of i don't know do something else fluctuate wildly in between yeah i've, I've seen it all really and um in terms of dial in terms of how i kind of you know uh, the journey of, of of a kind of an evening, and um, without being too, you know too um, pretentious about it, I suppose generally my default would be. And of course, the American bar isn't currently open. I must must stress sadly uh, because of kind of COVID and stuff. But it's due to open again very shortly. But I have been there for eighteen years, so I, I know it, the, the space very very well. Mm. Um, so generally, the, my default would be early evening is very kind of American songbook, as we keep mentioning that term. Very kind of Sinatra, very Ella Fitzgerald, that kind of stuff. Um, I always think that early in the evening is is um, that kind of post work, pre theatre, pre meal thing is a very romantic, but also kind of light. Um, a subtle time of the evening, uh, and then um, and then later on in the evening, the you know, evening gets a bit quieter. Then people kind of come back, kind of post meal, post theatre, post whatever. And at that point, you can get a bit more expansive with the music, because I think we've probably got a few. A few uh, you know, I hope the, the song lists I've picked tonight will, will express that. But it's definitely a journey, and it, it's not. It's not a blueprint. Sometimes I'll change it, and if you know somebody res- uh, requests something, the evening can go on in any random direction. But Generally, I start off quite light, then get a bit, bit more esoteric and weirder as the evening goes on. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I was really thinking, you know, what other positions are there that people have that could have that could really make a difference mm. in that respect? Uh, and I was thinking, you know, there are probably DJs out there who might play some sort of sweaty R&B or something. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that might have an effect. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, that being the only really comparable one, I suppose there's a there's a sense of sophistication and romance mm. um, to the way that you might deliver. I've seen you deliver. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But the uh, but oh, the very weird. I bet you've had this with drinks too. That that and it's really lovely when it happens because I think we all get like every every human being. Whatever you do, you get an element of getting blasé about things sometimes and feeling slightly, you know muted and just getting on with your going through your regular groove and then somebody will come up and say you know with maybe with tears in her eyes or clearly feeling emotional saying um like you were talking about your dad and, and the cocktail a minute ago the manhattan you know oh my god you just played my mother's favorite song or they'll ask you to play can you play this song and they might not tell you why but you just know there's a pretty heavy reason why they've asked for that yeah the rea- the, the human reaction that i think mixology and music uh combined can have is really really you know out of this world yeah oh that's really interesting i um 
I definitely relate, you know, and, and I spent a short time working at the Savoy. Um, mm. Probably got the, there. I, I can only really think of maybe one person who has less of a legacy in that place than I do. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, certainly having made uh, cocktails for people and, you know, you can see it hitting them in a certain way. Maybe it takes them back to a, a flavor that they had in their childhood. It's just where I've worked since and before, much less than the Savoy, were they environments that people come to at significant moments in their lives so mm. i feel like in the savoy when people arrive they're already sort of primed yeah yeah for that sort of effect that's a really really fascinating way to describe it yeah you're right the, but the beauty of, of a bar like the american bar and i guess lots of the great bars as well though is that they also they have the ability to to cater to lots of different to, to different purposes so there'll be some people who, who really don't give a stuff about it who are coming in for a quick lager they're staying in the hotel with a big co- corporate account they want a gin and tonic. They want to read the Financial Times. You know, as you say, there'll be other people who who are coming in and they, they've been maybe anticipating that visit for maybe a couple of years. And for them, it's like really sacred turf. And I think the job of a really classic bar is that it's it works for all those different groups of people, doesn't it, equally? It, and and, and it, no one's excluded. It, everybody, it, it's different things to different people simultaneously. Yeah. And, and the, I think one of the things um, about my job playing music in a place like that as well is that it's really important that the music has to be at a uh, sonic level that if you're into it that's great but it mustn't ever be at a level where you know it's going to be detrimental to your evening or you or or, or it commands or demands attention it's got to be if you want to zone into it it's great but it mustn't kind of you know be overbearing yeah, yeah. well no one ought to have that down to as fine an art as you I mean, well, 18 years that's amazing um, yeah. I suppose that pertains very well to the next question. We touched mm. on it a little, uh, a couple of points ago, um, but it was a song that you would use to take the room up a level. <laughs> yeah, it sounds quite creepy, doesn't it? I'm now going to take the song, the, the bar, up a level. You don't have to announce Level it. two. <laughs> now, did I, did I, was it a Benny King track we mentioned here? Yes, it was. Yeah. Now, I, I, as I sent you this, I emailed you this list a few, uh, about a week, week or so ago. Actually, no, I'm going to be honest, Joseph, you asked for these songs about three years ago, didn't you? You've been, you've been researching this for years. Um, I thought this might sound quite square, actually, but um, because the song I've picked is from the early 60s, it's by Ben E. King and it's Stand By Me, um, which certainly doesn't sound like the kind of uh, track that might take up a, a, a bar up a level. It's definitely not The Prodigy or The Chemical Brothers. God, I'm betraying my age. That's the most contemporary thing I can think of. God. Um, but there's something about that dum it really commands attention that that riff and especially when you've had an hour and a half of kind of like you know croony kind of mush you know and then suddenly that comes through and it's a very god i mean even after all these years i i kick i I usually just play that riff on the piano and i would say generally most nights, seventy-five percent of the bar, there might only be five people in, but yeah, you know, if there's a hundred people in, would turn around, and that, there's something about that riff that just it it, um, it it changes the mood of the room very, very quickly. It really does. I, it's hard to describe how. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it did stand out from the other people that I've spoken to because often um, these people will be playing music. Uh, yeah. I mean, like a uh, DJing or yeah. something. So you've got um, every single instrument under the sun at your disposal i suppose that's the difference for you because you've got to do it you've got to use a different kind of currency yeah um and they will i I, I suppose this takes the might take the tempo up a tiny bit but that's generally the main thing bit something a bit more pumping but yeah you and a piano i suppose a maybe i'm wrong uh a stricter 
you know, a more specific um, guideline to what it is that you shouldn't shouldn't be playing. Yeah, really, that kind of invisible infrastructure of what, what would be appropriate has really just been shaped by playing in that space for so many years and kind of every night doing a kind of market research and where it worked, feeling what kind of felt appropriate, actually, mm. I suppose. So it's amazingly how you know how broad the 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 material you can draw on is. I think as long as it's channeled, through, as long as it's kind of window dressed in a certain way, you can. I mean, I have done a swing version of of um, I'm the Firestarter before by the Prodigy <laughs> as a joke because someone asked me it ruined the night, which is what I wanted you to do, and they had to buy me a beer for that. Job but, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's it's just a it's, it's a real it's just a very stylistic change uh, from the, the whole atmosphere that you were talking about so uh, eloquently about the the way where a track like the Blossom Deary Manhattan song takes you so like Stand By Me is a lot it's a lot tighter it's a lot um lo- lot less poetic and it's a lot more direct and it's it, yeah it just um it it's it, it, it's just a change a change of pace and it um it, it's fascinating how god i mean 25 years ago I was playing guitar and singing in bars in Scandinavia and something like Stand By Me I, I would would use in the same way then, and it's still it's something about that riff. Yeah, you know, it's it's an absolute titan of the twentieth twentieth century that that thing. Um, and obviously, it was in a, there's a, a big movie called Stand by Me too, mm. and it just I, it just the really wild thing is that I'm in in my early forties now, but um, the crazy thing is that you know things like I saw her standing there by the Beatles, uh, Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry, Stand by Me by Benny King, um, yeah, All Shook Up by Elvis, whatever you know. They are there are seventeen, eighteen year old uh, kids, uh, well, like I say, are adults who who know those songs, and that is really, really crazy. Because I remember thinking twenty years ago it was wild. Because I'm, as I said, in my early forties, so my dad's in his early seventies, so I grew up kind of with Beatles and Stones and Elvis and the Kinks and all that stuff. So it wasn't unusual for me. But then now, I mean, we're kind of two or three generations further on, and yet. Um, and maybe there's a parallel with mixology here. Um, you know, classics are just classics, aren't they? Yeah, something about these things. Um, yeah, I remember there being some sort of statistic about um, kids when they reach a certain age. Maybe they get to um, maybe fourteen, fifteen, which feels like an appropriate timing to really go out on your own. Yeah, that's when you start. Yeah, developing your own opinions and um, listening to new things by yourself without the guidance of the people around you, and that is when general knowledge of the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. tend to skyrocket in people's lives. Some really specific uh, statistic there. But yeah, it does the guys to show that the classics are there for a reason. This yeah. um, this song is interesting as well. I, I touched on that recognizability thing. Mm. Um, and obviously something familiar sort of gets you going and it, it makes you feel relaxed. But I remember seeing this song that kicks off a compilation of songs that have that that have a similar chord progression, yeah. And I'm attempting to okay, speak right, about yeah. music here, yeah. um, but I think it was some 15 minute performance of one band doing little 30 second snippets yeah. of songs that all adhere to that. Yeah. So there may be a form of comfort in that. Yep. But then also it's this um, accessibility because I reckon probably everyone sings along, and then if people don't feel confident enough to sing along with the actual uh, lyrics, mm. they can always just get stuck in with that. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. It's got so much going for it, basically. Totally, yeah. Uh, also, it's um, it's it's an emotional song, and it's um, it's just kind of real. It's a dose of reality, and I think with uh, it, as you say, it's incredibly familiar. And and like 
really re- extraordinary class- classic things. It's it's so familiar. Even if you don't know it, you feel safe hearing it. It it sounds like it ought to be familiar to you. You know, like when you go into a great bar or a great restaurant and you just feel like you're in safe hands. You relax, don't you? You kind of think, you know, okay, yeah, this this is kind of what I'd expect to be hearing in, in a place like this. Um, but even now, it's absurd, but stand by me. I think because the way I sing it is slightly, it's different because there's a, there's a lot of restraint to kind of crooning all the kind of Sinatra jazz age stuff. It's a, it's a very soft, um, mellow um, approach. A little bit, if, if you're being, I don't, don't mean this in a negative way, but it's a little bit kind of wallpaper. It's kind of very much, it's kind of slightly ethereal and it's kind of there, but it's not there. But something like Stand By Me, really, it's, the way I sing that, it's a little bit, you know, it's like, it's like uh, when the night has come. It, you know, it's it's not me in my sophisticated kind of Harry Connick croon. It's mm. it's it's it's, it's um, uh, yeah. And so it's when I when I pull that one out of the bag, it's it, it's it will be because there are a few tables in that I feel like you know yeah the evening's just ready to go a bit more a bit looser and get beyond that that first that first stage. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bar Fabric Presents. If you've enjoyed the show, please share and leave us a review. As Joseph mentioned in Four More Bars, there will be an accompanying playlist where you can hear all of the tracks they spoke about. You can find the link to the Spotify playlist in the show notes, which also features some bonus tracks not discussed on the show. You can find more information on our guests in the show notes. And finally, a huge thank you to the team. I'm Ali Didianko. This podcast was recorded at Capsule 24 Studios in London and produced by Silver Music Entertainment.